0: A lot of the guys are like, whoa, like, you know, I see more women on the trail. I see more women shredding the trail. So um, there's got to be something to this. And um, that's really neat to see that women are kind of pushing that that particular uh, segment of our sport and, and the coaching side. I'm grateful for it.
1: If you are new to the Trail Fight Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 107 features Tara Alcantara, who hails from Tucson, Arizona, which is still in line with our recent string of winter-based conversations, only in a much warmer way for those who prefer to escape cold climates. Tara is a former president of Tucson Off-Road Cyclists and Activists Organization, otherwise known as TORCA. We get into all things Tucson and more during this conversation. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Tara Alcantara. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Tara Alcantara. She is the past president of TORCO, which is a Tucson off-road Cyclists and advocates. She's also owner of Homegrown MTB, a certified personal trainer. Wilderness first responder, PMBIA certified instructor, and usually I get those letters backwards. And she's a coach at Ladies All Ride. Did I miss anything as as far as what you are involved with right now? Let's get into your backstory. How you got into mountain biking? Because you've been mountain biking for a long time. In fact, you got your your husband into mountain biking. If I if I'm not mistaken.
0: Absolutely right. Yeah, I um I well I grew up in Boise, Idaho, and I'm an only child. My dad wanted a boy. So sort of grew up riding motorcycles. There's a pretty special area in Boise called the Foothills. There's a special trail called Holes Gulch. That was the first mountain bike trail I ever rode. Um, I just heard recently that it's now a downhill only directional mountain bike trail, which made me so happy. It was a trail that almost was lost due to development, you know, when I was a teenager growing up there. So kind of come full circle growing up in Boise. Falling in love with the sport on that trail, ended up in Tucson after meeting my husband uh, right around 2000. My husband was born in Mexico. His mother's a Tucson native, and his father immigrated here uh, to the states in his 40s. So his arts roots run very deep in Tucson, in the Southwest. In the you know, this is a border town. So yeah, so I've been here for about 22 years. Tucson is a place that has has really um, grown on me. Uh, the, the food scene here is incredible. It's rich with culture. The outdoors scene here, while not sort of front of mind to everybody, uh, it's a, it's a gem. It's a hidden gem, for sure. Our season is completely opposite of most places. So right now is prime time. And yeah, the, um, the, the, the weather here is perfect almost year round. And so, so we ride bikes year round.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I am very jealous of being in Wisconsin because it is snowing now. And while fat biking season is kind of upon us, it's not nearly as good as riding on dirt.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We get a lot. So homegrown is a, a company that I, I founded, um, about seven years ago. So we're a guiding company, and we do bike rentals, and and most of our customers are people that are coming from very cold places. They haven't been on their bikes for a long time. So yeah, it's it's really nice to welcome people here to the desert when it's you know sunny and sixty five degrees this time of year.
1: Well, let's back up to the founding of Torca because you and your husband, I, I believe, founded that that organization, or at least there were there at the beginning of getting that organization started. So let's talk about Torca, what it is in that community, what it means. Cause it's a little bit different than the other organization in Tucson.
0: Yeah. So 2012, um, a guy named Vern Akins and Art Alcantara, uh, two, two guys that were interested in getting involved in advocacy, uh, joined a, a group called SDMB, Sonoran Desert Mountain Bicyclists. Um, and they were there to do work. You know, they, the trails all the trails needed work. There wasn't a huge coordinated effort at the time to maintain trails. Certainly, wasn't any real building going on. And you know, they 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 worked on that project for a couple of years, uh, and it you know honestly was caused more frustration than anything, um, just based on maybe a, a uh, some people that had been around for a long time and weren't weren't quite as engaged as. Vern and Art were they were you know young new to the sport and and ready to work they wanted to go you know do long days working on trails and it wasn't wasn't in line with what the other organization was working on so they um they they recruited me and uh Vern's wife to kind of help get some of the business foundation laid we started a 501c3 nonprofit we Eventually got a partnership with the national, the Coronado National Forest to uh, maintain the trails. And at that time, it was like an adopt a trail program on Mount Lemon. And um, ten years later, lots of changes going on, but um, the organization is is basically hasn't changed its mission, which is to preserve the tradition, condition, and etiquette of the trail. And to present novel opportunities in a sustainable and responsible manner. And that's really the core of what Torka does.
1: You know, from the outside looking in, it sounds like, or it looks like, you guys are a little bit more gravity-based too.
0: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting story, Josh, because, you know, SDMB sort of historically at that time was, you know, there was no gravity in Tucson Vern was very much the quintessential cross-country rider. Art and I at the time were traveling quite a bit, checking out different bike parks, kind of seeing what other riding locations had to offer. And so the vision maybe initially, especially on Art's side, was, you know, to, I think the original name of Torco was SAG, Southern Arizona Gravity. So you're not wrong entirely. However, with Vern coming on board almost right away, the organization became much more focused on just you know generally good riding opportunities, not necessarily gravity only.
1: Let's talk about those riding opportunities. What's for the peep for listeners that have never been to the Tucson region? What does the Tucson region have to offer aside from stellar weather in the winter?
0: Yeah, so diversity for one. Mountain biking is definitely a segment here that's growing, but Tucson's always been known for road biking. Um, Mount Lemon is. 27 miles to the top. It's a beautiful uh, road ride that, um, you know, brings a lot of people from all over the world. There's bike packing opportunities. There's, you know, hundreds of miles of cross-country trails in and around the city that are accessible. And then there's the Arizona Trail, which is an 800-mile route that starts at the border of Mexico and goes straight up through the state, uh, through the Grand Canyon, ends at the northern border with Utah. So some very unique riding opportunities, it's dry, it's loose, rocky and slabby, chunky, raw. There's uh, there's actually a, quite a bit of elevation here. So Mount Lemon at the top is almost 10,000 feet and Tucson in the valley sits at about 2,800. So um, definitely you know, from the gravity side, uh, there's a lot of potential.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up road biking because when I, I have a couple of friends that are going to be wintering in Arizona coming up I think they're leaving before the end of the year, even, and they're going to be there for like three months or something like that. And one of them for sure. And I said, you know, you need to go down to Tucson and ride because they're going to cover They're going to ride a lot. I mean, they'll head up to Prescott. They'll probably go to Sedona. I think they're basing out of the Phoenix area, but I said, you got to go to Tucson. And the, and the guy, and the one guy responded to me, he's like, yeah, I've been there for road riding. I've never been there for mountain biking, but they're really mountain bikers. I mean, road riding is kind of a means to an end for the most part for fitness, right? So yeah, I'm assuming that they'll now be coming there to go mountain biking this winter, which will be awesome to hear about their stories and I can live vicariously through them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You you know, the, um, the riding here is interesting in that, you know, if you're a beginner, there's definitely, there's, there's opportunities for, for newer riders. And then, you know, all the way up to Mount lemon where, you know, you really do need to be a pretty experienced, almost expert rider to navigate those trails. And then sort of everything in between. The 50-year trail system is one of the most spectacular trail systems I've ever ridden on. And uh, you know, so it's kind of like you know, you know. And if if you're just going off of, you know, trail forks and you're kind of looking around on the internet, uh, you may not actually get a full sense of what what all is available here in this area, but if you like Moab, if you like, you know Grand Junction, you know those are the kinds of places that come to mind um, that I would compare Tucson to.
1: Well, let's talk about some of the challenges you faced because it's you know dealing with with government agencies always comes with this challenges, right? And that's pretty much all your land around you is, I'm assuming BLM and US Forest Service land. You've already talked about US Forest Service a little bit, but let's uh let's talk about you know what it was at the beginning. And then where you guys have come to, because I believe you've come a long way in terms of furthering those relationships in a positive way.
0: Yeah. So so there's actually no BLM land here.
1: Oh, that, wow.
0: Uh the trails reside on. So there's there's city, there's county, there's state trust land, and then there's the forest. And Torca has um really kind of taken a, a stake in the forest trails. So Coronado National Forest. Uh, On Mount Lemmon, there are some 200 miles of trail, but only about 25% of those are mountain biker-friendly trails. Um, Most of the other trails are in wilderness areas. So in terms of new opportunities for riding on the forest, those new opportunities have yet to materialize. What has happened is there have been projects to provide more maintenance on the trails that much needed it. As well as uh, rehabbing trails such as CDO Trail and Red Ridge Trail, that are the the big backcountry rides that you know I would put up against, like the whole enchilada, for instance.
1: Let's go on to another challenge, though, because we love challenges. Because mountain biking, we cha- we I think we inherently enjoy challenges, even though some of those challenges we don't necessarily run headfirst into. And this is one of those challenges with which is the Bighorn Fire. Yeah. And the fact that it burned nearly 12,000 acres of property around your region and what that meant to uh, trail closures and then trying to reestablish trail openings.
0: Right. So it was 112,000 acres. Yes. on the back side. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. back side of Mount Lemon. So let me let me paint a little picture about the mountain first. So there's the front side of Mount Lemon, which is the foothills that run across the the length of the, of north Tucson. Then there's the backside of Mount Lemon, which is uh kind of faces north and um really it's it's the middle of nowhere. So the backcountry trails project that Torca had been working on for uh six years included the the reopening of a trail called CDO, Canyada del Oro Trail. And this trail was really um, kind of a a vision of uh, Vern, one of the original founders of Torca, that this trail existed where, you know, you you literally start at the top and you drop into these very fast, quick descents through, you know, on the top of these ridge lines, looking down into the city. And then, you know, you drop into some wooded forest areas and, um, you know, all of these things that you don't see in Tucson. You see, you know, higher elevations. So, this trail was seven thousand feet of descending. All in all, about twenty-four miles of of riding. Finished at the fifty-year trail system. So you basically just got like this one big ride, and you went through every kind of ecosystem you can imagine. That trail burned to the ground in the Bighorn Fire. So. There have been a couple people that have scouted the trail since the fire to see if that's you know it all feasible to to reroute, rehab it, and um, it's not not looking super promising. The backcountry trails project also included another trail called Red Ridge, which is uh, similar to CDO in terms of the the profile, but because this trail kind of stayed up higher on top of a ridge line, it it wasn't quite as devastated as the CDO trail by the Bighorn fire. But the the Bighorn fire, we had a, you know, 2020, summer of 2020, it's 115 degrees here in Tucson. Everybody's on lockdown from COVID and the entire mountain was ablaze. It was pretty terrifying. But in terms of the loss of trails, um, the CDO trail is probably a total loss. There was damage to... Frontside trails, um, specifically Green Mountain Trail, which was a another Torca project. So yeah, it was it was a devastating year.
1: So how is that landscape today? And we're gonna tie this together because we're gonna get into what you guys do with homegrown MTV and and what mountain bikers can actually experience when they come visit you now, you know, in terms of what's been what's been opened back up and it sounds like a I mean a 24 mile. Descent essentially sounds pretty incredible, right? So I'm assuming there's got to be some other similar stuff, although not nearly as cool as what you've said because you said it's not replicable.
0: Well, um, it is. We, we think it is replicable. And so what Torka is working on now is uh this master trails plan. This has been actually in the works for many years. A vision of Torka was to present new trail opportunities some mountain bike-specific trail opportunities uh, in the form of a a master trails plan. Making good progress, there was a district ranger named C.J. Woodard, who was instrumental in Torca's relationship with the forest and, and kind of making some progress and pushing things like the new trails forward. But when the mountain caught on fire, all of a sudden, the timing seemed to be pretty perfect for a trails plan. So while the fire uh, was certainly, you know, devastating and uh, set us back in terms of maybe get, be building new trails because we had a lot of work to do just to clean up from the fire. Now there's this new trails plan that we're, we're talking about, you know, building even, you know, better thought out trails on the backside of Lemon and new trail opportunities uh, on the top of Mount Lemon. Red Ridge Trail is is a trail that is definitely comparable to that, to CDO Trail, I would say in a lot of ways, even better. It's a little more of a downhill oriented trail. That trail can be ridden uh, certain times of year, sort of like, again, like the whole enchilada. If, if there's snow on top, it can be kind of iffy. If it's too hot down below, you got to time it just right. But definitely an epic ride to be had is the Red Ridge Trail.
1: Let's go into Homegrown MTB and get the backstory there. I've been requested by one of the listeners to get the backstory of Homegrown MTB and why you and Art started that.
0: Okay. So as we were working to make the trails in Tucson better, um, we realized there were a lot of people that were interested in riding on Mount Lemmon. And there wasn't really any good options for rental bikes here in town. There wasn't a great option for shuttles on Mount Lemmon. There was a lot of sort of local knowledge that someone would need to put together a good ride. Trail Forks was was instrumental in kind of changing that. Obviously, people can access ride information a lot easier. but, But Homegrown is a resource for people to rent bikes. We have a fleet of Rocky Mountain carbon full suspension bikes. And these bikes are totally picked based on their ability to shred these trails, which are, you know, super rough, super rocky, chew up tires, you, you know, you don't want to show up with your um, short travel, you know, cross country bike. So we provide rentals, we provide guided, uh, guided rides, especially on the backcountry tours that are near impossible. To navigate without a guide, um, the route finding is tricky. These trails are, you know, like most backcountry trails. One big storm comes in and wipes out a section of trail, and all of a sudden, people get lost. So there's a lot of that that goes on back there. So homegrown is we've spent we spent you know days upon days doing overnight trail work on those trails, and so it's it's an intimate knowledge with the area that you just can't replicate. So we do guided tours, we do weekly shuttles on Mount Lemmon and, uh, and the rental bikes. And then of course we, we do offer coaching services. That's something that I've sort of pursued personally to, um, to get better at with my own riding and, and, uh, yeah, so that's a lot of fun.
1: Well, you brought it up, so let's talk about it. Okay. What's new for 2023? And then we're going to actually go back into more coaching be- besides that. Cause I got more coaching topics.
0: Yeah. So. So I've, I've been a personal trainer for about 20 years, always worked in the fitness industry and then becoming a mountain bike coach felt very natural to me. I'm used to coaching people. I'm, you know, very in tune with, with body mechanics and, you know, the fitness aspect of our sport. So we're taking a little different, different strategy this year, and we're going to offer some more intensive coaching. And add in uh, a strength and conditioning piece as well that I'll kind of bring my personal training gym experience into that, into the fold.
1: So kind of explain what, uh, you know, so say I'm coming, say I'd, say I'd come to a homegrown MTB thing, is that going to be for people traveling in or, or are you going to offer it for locals as well?
0: We have coaches on staff. So when people are traveling to visit and they're looking to maybe... Maybe they're an intermediate rider, and they know that the the trails here are going to challenge them. Oftentimes, they'll set up a coaching session with one of our, our guides and coaches to learn how to ride the, tra- the trails here. If you've not experienced that, you know, big chunky rocks that you have to you know pedal, wheelie over, and stand up and push down, and you know, tend to have to go a little faster here to get through the chunk. So if you're not comfortable riding chunky terrain at speed. Then those are the things that we can help people with. Um, otherwise, we have a rider development program right now in January, so we're going all in with uh, every Saturday in January and a Tuesday workout, Tuesday night workout in the gym. There's four different trail systems that people will get to experience, and all the curriculum has been developed by me. I've got some of my coaches helping me kind of roll it out, but um, but it's going to be a, an intensive program for people who are looking to. To get pushed a little bit with their fitness and also their, their techniques and learn some, some techniques for, for riding better and keeping the rubber side down.
1: You spoke about having other coaches on staff and I, I do, I did look at your website and you do have a handful of other coaches. Let's kind of explain, you know, what the strengths are with having, you know, the different coaches and different personalities on staff to maybe, you know, mesh with, with different people that are coming in.
0: Yeah. I mean... What I do, I couldn't do by any means, any stretch without the people that are around me. Um, we're definitely a team. I kind of, you know, that was a great thing about being involved in Torca is we had this really strong team that, you know, fought sometimes and, you know, always made up and always tried to kind of keep moving forward with the common goal. And and those are the people that I'm lucky enough to have on my team here. Um, Matt Rabko is uh one of our head. Guides and also our equipment manager. He manages our fleet of rental bikes. Um, moved here from Northern California a few years ago and kind of threw himself into Mount Lemon and the the scene here. And he's on the board of directors for Torca. Juan Del Castillo is a local rider who he's. I can't even uh, tell you where I would put him on the the spectrum of, of good riders. He's he's from Angel Fire, so he spent a lot of time at the bike park in Angel Fire, New Mexico. He's uh, done some coaching there. So just very well-rounded people. Kimber Berger, newer rider that I kind of took under my wing to develop. Not a lot of females riding this stuff and riding them fast. And and she was willing to... uh, She came to our clinics and she put in the work. And now she's one of our, our head coaches as well. We do like the PMBIA curriculum. Art and I uh spent uh the time to get certified um in angel fire several, many years ago and then just recently in whistler took the level 2 uh coaching certification which was 4 days of very intensive riding at whistler and and learning how to coach people uh, more advanced riders so yeah so we're we're ready we're ready to to get more people riding harder stuff
1: I am a huge proponent of people getting coached you know, whether they're, you know, whether it's PMBA or, or the other certification, because I think you can't see yourself ride Right.
0: That's it. That's it.
1: And so I, maybe you can go into that a little bit, just on a, on your philosophy on, on coaching. And we are going to go into the ladies all right after that.
0: You bet. Yeah. I mean, you know, taking, uh, putting myself in the position to be coached, which in the PMBIA level two is very much the case. Um, you know, you get a really detailed scorecard of half of it is weighted with your coaching ability, the other half is weighted with your riding ability. And, um, you know, I, I realized how much and I've always known this, but I love being a student. So, you know, being a student for four days, to me was the best thing ever. And, you know, when you put yourself in the position to have someone kind of look at something that you hadn't thought of, or tried something that you hadn't thought of, I mean, that's, that's how my own writing has been developed is, you know, people like Lindsay Richter from Ladies All Ride, you know, giving me uh, a tidbit that, you know, she saw in my writing, even when I was a good writer. And, and that's what a true coach can do is they can, they can see where you're at and they can kind of help you get to that next, next place of improvement.
1: Yeah. Well, let's go. You brought it up. I brought it up. So let's talk about it let's talk about ladies. All right. You know, I've, that's something I've really tried to hit on with this podcast a lot when I'm not talking about trail building and advocacy is, is female, is female coaching and getting more females into riding. Um, one because it's a personal interest of mine because I was raised by all women. Um, my grandmother, my mother, my, you know, my great aunt, like basically like those are the people that, and my great grandmother, those are the people that raised me. But then also more recently, I have two daughters, you know? And so I have a 16 year old and nine year old daughter and whether they like it or not, they're on bikes.
0: It's sort of insane. It's definitely not what we likely grew up with. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The opportunities for people coming into the sport right now are beyond comprehension, quite honestly. You know, I, I had been mountain biking 25 years before I had any idea that a mountain bike coach existed and, you know. My husband has always been my biggest supporter. I think for a birthday or something, he got me a, a trip to one of Lindsay's retreats and it happened to be in Ritalik Lodge in British Columbia, one of the, the the most epic riding destinations on earth. And, um, you know, that was a game that was like a life-changing experience for me. So I'm
1: sure um, in more ways than one.
0: Yes, absolutely. Blew my mind as far as what was possible for trails and on a bike, and and certainly um, hadn't ridden with very many women who could ride at her level, which was awesome. And she's not a racer. So, you know, I admire that a lot about her. She's a businesswoman. She's super, super creative. Uh, she gives everything she has to to what she does, and it, and it shows.
1: Maybe talk about some of the stuff that female riders could, I don't want to say benefit from, but something they could look forward to, you know? Because I do, I do think there's, you know, mountain biking is a, it's an aggressive sport for lack of better term, you yeah. know, and I, and I think there's something to be, you know, you could be afraid of or maybe, but you shouldn't be because it, it's a life building sport as well, because it teaches you so much, generally speaking about how to attack other things in life, right?
0: That's it. And that's, that's what Lindsay Richter from Ladies All Ride does so well is she connects those two things of, you know. Uh, and I think that's why she's she's so successful and has such a following with the women because a lot of women have not been exposed to aggressive sports like this. You know, I I was from a pretty early age, I was kind of looking for these types of opportunities. So, but, you know, I know a lot of our, our women's clinics that, that, you know, we might have 30, 40 women at and the camaraderie of having other women Uh, learning something new at the same time, being vulnerable together, um, putting each putting ourselves in, you know, embarrassing situations, there has been a lot of growth that has come from those situations, most definitely. And I think women are are learning what's possible in the way of, you know, sports and physical fitness and getting outside your comfort zone and embracing parts of their personality that they didn't, you know, really like develop before. So, um, so that's, that's been a lot of fun. And I would also say, you know, to anybody, not just a a woman, but anybody that wants to learn something new, you know, you save yourself a whole lot of hassle, a whole lot of injuries and frustrations by learning how to do things the right way first, whether it's skiing or snowboarding or mountain biking, you know, I hate hearing, especially women, but I hate hearing when anybody, you know, has a bad fall and they break a bone or they have some catastrophic thing that happens that really sours them on the sport. Cause it doesn't have to be that way.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think men specifically are guilty of not wanting to get instruction because they know it all. Right.
0: Yeah. You know, but I, that's I, changing. Don't, yeah, I don't want to make that generalization about the men and, you know, um, so you asked earlier about homegrown MTB and, and sort of some of the changes after you know doing this for the past seven years and having a pretty, pretty strong women's clinic presence here. We're gonna we're gonna change it up a little bit and offer just most co-ed clinics. We have our signature angel fire bike park two-day women's weekend in July, but otherwise we're gonna focus on um on co-ed clinics and really you know, give, give the fellows an opportunity to benefit from what the ladies already have. And I think a lot of, a lot of the guys are like, whoa, like, you know, I see more women on the trail. I see more women shredding the trail. So um, there's got to be something to this. And um, that's really neat to see that women are kind of pushing that, that particular uh, segment of our sport and and the coaching side. I'm grateful for it.
1: Yeah. And do you, is there any uh, ladies all ride clinics in your region or do you travel? Cause you do coach for them as well.
0: Yeah. there's, they do a Sedona clinic. I think they might even do two Sedona clinics that are really popular. They happen to coincide with my busy season with homegrown here. So it's, it's like the end of the, uh, or the start of our season. So it's not a good time for me to coach there. And, um, I actually have some ties to Montana and Idaho and Wyoming. So I travel to those areas, and I coach for ladies all ride at the Grand Targhee, Big Sky, Whitefish, Montana. Also, was able to be a head coach at the Flathead Lake Lodge Retreat, which is an amazing um, place to ride on private trails that are just perfection. So um, she's she's really. Pick in some epic spots, and and part of the fun for me is getting to go ride in those places and teach people how to ride new 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 trails.
1: Let's go there. Let's go to let's leave let's leave Tucson, and let's. uh, What are you know? What are some of the places like? If you were, I guess if you know if you were going to plan a trip, you and Art. Yeah. Where where would it be, and why?
0: So last year, or this year, it feels like last year already. Twenty twenty two we were able to do that trip. And, um, you know, there's a lot of places that I've, I would like to go ride. There's a lot of places that I've been, I've been to Moab more times than I can count. I love Moab. I could, I always enjoy going to Moab, but you know, I, I want to, I'm a, I'm a downhill girl at heart and, um, I'm, I'm seeking out that lift access, you know, backcountry high Alpine stuff this summer. Took a road trip from West Yellowstone area where I have some family and, you know, hit Big Sky and Whitefish, Bike Park. Um, Whitefish is one of my my favorite spots right now. Headed up to Retallic, been to Retallic Lodge, uh, I think four or five times now. Love the riding at Retallic. And then uh, Silver Star, which is outside of Vernon in um, BC, is probably my favorite place hands down, that I've ever ridden. Second to second to maybe Whistler. But yeah, I got to go to Whistler this year for my PMBIA cert. So that's really like the dream for me is, is you know, Canada, British Columbia, traveling around, hitting bike parks. That's where I'm at in life.
1: Well, specifically speaking, because bike parks have been a topic that I've been exploring a lot more with this podcast. Specifically, what are you and Art looking for in terms of like the trail experience? Are you, you know, because we... Especially now, everything is getting built at bike parks from beginner level, green stuff to, you know, in the flow trails to, you know, huge, huge jump lines that we maybe thought we would have never seen when we started mountain biking, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah, now yeah. the stuff is like just incredible. And then you have people that really enjoy the old school tech Rocky stuff. So what is it that you guys look for when you're going to a bike park or what really speaks to you?
0: You know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I really love getting on machine built trail. I we just don't have it here. You know, everything in my area is you got to work for it. So you're either pushing your bike up some big hill or doing a big climb, which is great. I love I love earning it, but man, to just show up and just find some, you know, where the the flow is already there for you. You don't have to look for it and and try and, you know, develop it. Like it's there. You just have to go trail speed and, you know, you're hitting that jump perfectly and you're hitting that berm perfectly. So I really crave the flow trails that, you know, you see it most every bike park these days, like a good blue flow trail. But I I also love steep, technical, exposed, you know, the stuff that kind of makes people pucker. I, I love that stuff. I will try, you know, I will try a lot of lines to try and kind of get out of my comfort zone and and ride that kind of stuff.
1: Well, and since you've been mountain biking as long as I've been mountain biking, how's that progression of bikes been? It's crazy to see what we have now to ride with, right?
0: I mean, it's obviously it has a lot to do with where the sport is at. Um, even in Tucson, you know, without the the big travel enduro bikes. I mean, I ride a Rocky Mountain Slayer, which is technically a free ride bike with a 180 travel fork and a coil in the back, and that's my go to bike for everything. I pedal it up the road and. You know, um, but yeah, it's it's totally changed the ability to to look at trails, to ride faster, to ride smoother. It's a big big part of it.
1: People are probably sick of hearing me talk about dropper posts, but I think like I personally think dropper posts have been as revolutionary as disc brakes.
0: Greatest invention in my mountain biking career. I totally agree with you. Is there anything
1: that we have I'm going back in my notes here that we need to maybe talk about
0: deeper. I, I didn't mention that circling back to Torca is an event that Torca put on called the Pachanga.
1: The Pachanga? I didn't ha- I don't have that in my notes, but
0: so the Pachanga, Pachanga in Spanish means party, get together, fiesta. So the Torca Pachanga uh was sort of a breakout event for the organization to include the local community, grow the local mountain bike community, get people stoked on Mount Lemon trails. So it started off very grassroots, very small. I think there was like 50 people in a parking lot and some pickup trucks and tailgate pads and um, Art and I, you know, shuttling people up and down, down the mountain, a grill and, you know, somebody cooking up some hot dogs. What it ended up to be was a pretty special event that, you know, I would say I think the last year there was probably 200 attendees, but it was two days of riding. You got shuttle service, you got uh, lunch included on the, on one of the days. There was um, dinner one of the days. Camping for everybody. We had uh, 12 different bike manufacturers bring their demo fleet, so it was a you know a demo event the entire weekend and a fundraising event for for Torca. So. That was also uh, a catalyst for kind of growing ridership on Mount Lemmon and and bringing awareness to those trails and, and that segment of riding that was pretty new to Tucson.
1: Is that still happening?
0: It's not. No, the last year was 2018. The organization, you know, is run by all volunteers. All of us are volunteers. And we had had a lot of big fish to fry at that time in terms of coordinating Maintenance efforts on Mount Lemmon, we do um, at minimum one trail day a month. So there's always a lot going on and more work than people to do the work. And And the return on investment for the Pachanga just wasn't there at the end of the day. You know, we were pulling permits with the forest and, you know, insurance and, and uh, we didn't want to have to charge, you know, 250 bucks, 300 bucks per person to... attend an event and and so it just uh you know started getting better at writing grants and once once we got some good grants that we could um could put to work that seemed to be a better use of our time
1: i can totally relate because sometimes events while on the outside there events are really really good for building that community like you talked about with the pachanga but unless you've been in the trenches so to say there's a lot of heavy lifting that goes on that people, that a lot of people, I mean, people like we, we know it cause we, we see it. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast will understand that because they've all, a lot of them have done it as well. But sometimes the juice isn't worth the squeeze in terms of like,
0: That's what it was.
1: you know, what you have to do. And I do like that you pivoted towards grants and stuff and towards other funding sources, because I think this is something I talk about all the time in the podcast itself is, is the importance of planning. And in trail yeah. planning and that and how trail planning and it, this show is going to come r- out right after a show that I have a year on show that i that I've just recorded before this with Amba. And one of the things I highlight with them and anyone that I talk to that has to do with planning is that planning is a small amount of money for what it can truly unlock in terms of funding and what you can really get done. Absolutely. I'm going to butcher these numbers because I, it just came into my brain it came into my, it came in uh, into reality for me in the last couple hours. But I want to say it was like $900,000 is what has been put towards the Trill Accelerator grants as far as planning that AMBA does. Okay. It's resulted in $13 million of building nationwide. Wow. You know, so that's like, and that's where I have people ask me regularly, you know, whether it's through like Instagram messenger or whatever, like, how do I get trails in my community? I'm like, you got to get a plan. You got to work on, you got to get the planning going. You know, that brings up money that you don't even know exists. It might not. And it might not even be a a grant. It might be a local philanthropist. Sure. That now can actually see what his money is going to go for or her money is going to go for, because we can go to people all day long with ideas. That's right. If they see it on paper, if they, if they understand what they're going to fund, then they're willing to fund it.
0: Yeah. And I was just talking to the Visit Tucson, the local tourism organization about that. And, and that's exactly right. We've got to we've got to we've got to be organized and specific and big picture thinking. I mean, I think that at least locally, we're we're at a little bit of a, a lull in kind of having some players in, in, involved that are thinking as big as they need to. And, um and it really does take a lot of resources to make these things, things happen and a lot of people to want to personally get involved and and, you know, like you said, whether it's someone making a donation or spending their own time writing grants, right, that's that's the big kind of missing piece that I see is we need we need more engagement, we need more action. We need more doers. We need more people with all kinds of different skills that love riding bikes and love and love riding the local trails. But, you know, these these things are um these things take a lot of work just to maintain what we've got, let alone, you know, ask for new trails.
1: Yeah. And have you noticed in the in the time that you've been involved with advocacy, I'm just starting to notice this now personally, but have you noticed either convention and visitors bureaus or your local uh, Chamber of Commerce starting to change their tune in terms of like actually getting behind the infrastructure side of things instead of just wanting to market what the community already has?
0: Yeah, I think it's happening. You know, um, I will say Tucson, since I've been here, which is, you know, 22, 23 years now, it's always been kind of the the NIMBY place, you know, and um, people are a little slower to adopt newer ideas and progress isn't always you know supported or met with with broad
1: acceptance. acceptance.
0: Yeah, so you know that we're out we're and that's that's okay. I think sometimes that's what makes a place kind of special and and you know I'm the first to say I I have a tour company and and I don't want my trails to be crowded. I don't want I want, you know, responsible users on the trail. That, yes. The whole state
1: of Wisconsin is like that. Like I get it. I totally get it. It's kind. Of, I I joke that where I live in Wisconsin is the Midwest version of Marin County, California.
0: Wow, that's saying something. That's saying something.
1: So I get I get the you know, the the you know the not in my backyard stuff, the lack of progression, you know. And I think and that's one of the reasons why I started this this podcast. Honestly, is to to open to open the eyes of what is actually out there and to help kind of spread a knowledge of what we've learned from that because I think. It's good. To, it's just like learning how to mountain bike or doing anything with fitness or whatever it is we want to do. that's hard, like getting that resistance at, I still get frustrated with it, but it's, it's super good because it helps us think outside of the box and learn different ways to approach these problems. So we can solve them in a, in a, probably a better way than we initially wanted to.
0: There you go. Yeah. And that, that takes collaboration with lots of people in case people haven't noticed, you know, there's a real lack of collaboration just generally right now with, you know, we're all kind of like, I think COVID really did a disservice to that. Like there's, we're all kind of holed up in our own little world and, and, you know, progress takes a lot of collaboration. So, and I think, I think we need to be thinking bigger, you know, I know like on the community level here, like there's, if you ask like the average Tucson rider, if you know what they thought made Tucson a great mountain bike community, they might tell you about all the group rides, you know, and, and that's just like, that's, it's great. I get it. We need those things, but it's like this teeny little piece of the big picture. And, um, I would like to see a little more, you know, like I say, engagement and representation and in the things that actually allow this to exist, these opportunities to exist, which are trails.
1: Yeah, for sure, and a lot that gets talked about now in the community side of thing is that we're almost getting to an arms race in terms of, and I, and that's probably a bad term, but I use it a lot. Um, but we're getting to an arms race in terms of uh, talent attraction and retention into communities, and the communities that are really, really starting to get it and really starting to win are the ones that are really embracing the lifestyle side of things and the livability of their community and the things that are offered to its residents outside of the 9 to 5 job especially with remote work you know i th- i said for years before covid happened that remote work is a thing and that people are moving to communities based on what they want to do outside of work and then covid just expanded just super accelerated that right yes yeah. and so i you know it sounds like you know that's something in Tucson that could really be embraced from the business leaders to be like hey like people could move here or move away from here based on what we have to offer.
0: That's right. And, and that's always sort of been a, a thing here. We've got the university of Arizona, which is a great school and, and, um, historically, you know, graduates leave. There's not been a lot of, you know, industry driving jobs for young people in Tucson. There's always been, you know, it's been kind of a golf town. Well, golf, like golf is really not all that popular anymore. And a lot of the resorts here are seeing that and they're seeing that their guests want other experiences outdoors. So, yeah, I mean, the the, the potential is huge. You know, it needs to be, it needs to be managed and massaged in a way that uh, is sustainable and uh, all of those things. So that's the challenge. And and it, it is going to take a lot of people to to give a shit, quite frankly. You can swear. Yeah, I figured
1: it was okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't have people dropping F bombs all day long, but this but the podcast is marked as explicit, so I don't get in trouble for that. Perfect. <laughs> so it's it's interesting as you're saying that the two there I've had two guests on this show that started a touring company in Tucson decades ago. Oh, okay. And those two people came together be, in the what totally jogged my brain on this was they moved there from different parts of the country. Because of the university and it was yes. the university that brought these two people together. One of them was, I want to say episode two, his name is Chris Gobert of he was episode two of the trail Fact podcast. And he now resides in one of the remote, most remote areas of the Midwest, which is in copper Harbor. <laughs> and, uh, and then his, uh, business partner, Rob Reed, who went on and for, to be a bike editor for our editor for bike magazine and doing a lot of other things in the bike industry and outside of the bike industry. And he's also got his own podcast called psychology FM. And he now resides in park city. Wow. You know, and those two at one point they started a bike touring company cause they wanted to figure out how they could make money by riding bikes. And they weren't strong enough or fit enough to be top level pro racers, which at that point was the only way you could make a little yeah. bit of money in the bike industry. Right. And yeah. still be able to ride.
0: Right. Exactly. That's the balance to strike.
1: Is it university of Arizona that's in Tucson? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you just jogged my brain on, on, on that. And, and that is real. The struggle is real. People do leave. I mean, I have that same struggle here. I don't have it, but my community has that struggle where people come to the university or one of the universities and, and then they move away.
0: Right. And we need young people. We need young people in our communities for a number of reasons. So Yeah. And that's changed here. I mean, you can see a a real change in, um, you know, just the users on the, on trails, there's a lot more young people. So I think that's like you said about remote working and, um, Tucson is, is definitely like a lot of good places to live. There's people moving here and people are discovering it. And, um, and that's great. We, we, we have room to grow at this point.
1: Yeah. And in fact, the, the guy that brought us together, Topher. Yeah. He's there in residency.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And probably fell in love with it here.
1: Oh yeah. He told, it sounds like from the emails that we exchanged, he totally fell in love with Tucson. And I'm still to trying do. to figure out how I haven't gotten to Tucson yet. Cause I've been, well, I've been to Lake Havasu a ton of times.
0: Well, it's, you know, you've got Phoenix, which is the big hub. Um, and then most people, if they want to get outside, they, they'll go up North to Sedona or Flagstaff. So you know, equidistance from those places from Phoenix is Tucson. So you just gotta you gotta put it on the route to go a little different direction and head south. We're a little um, higher elevation than Phoenix, so it's typically um, not quite as warm in the summertime. It's a little cooler, and uh, and then just proximity to the border, I think, too, is something that is unique about us.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I do when I when I do research on podcasts podcast guests, one of the things I will do if they're in a region that I potentially want to travel to is I'll go on Google, right? And see what the distance is. And I, I prefer to drive places. I don't, I don't particularly like packing bikes. I don't particularly like traveling through airports because you end up spending a ton of time doing nothing. Sure. I believe it's less than an hour different for me to go to, for me to go to Sedona as it is for me to go to Tucson from where I live. I just have to, like, like you just said, I just have to direct the route a little bit further South.
0: Yeah. And your, your friends who are on the road and they'll tell you, you know, and that's the great thing about Arizona is within four hours, you have all of these unique areas to explore. Yeah.
1: And it's great for people from Wisconsin and other, other places in the upper Midwest or even the Northeast who maybe don't want to deal with winter all winter and they want to actually go back to summer.
0: Yeah. you can come thaw out here and get your fill of sunshine, get your vitamin D.
1: Well, before I wrap this thing up, do you have any people you want to thank? Words of wisdom from Tara? Anything else you want to point out here before we before we hit stop on this one?
0: Yeah, I you know, I think the um my message is gonna be the same as probably a lot of your guests, and that is that trails are the future of this sport. And if you're not taking an active role in your own community, then then you know. How how involved and how much can you say you really love this sport? Because if you if you've been on our side of the lens, you know how easily these opportunities could be taken away at any time. Um, and if you haven't lost a trail that you love, brace yourself because it's coming. Everybody does, right? And oh, yeah. um it sucks.
1: Know that, I know that all too well.
0: Yeah. So um, you know, people I'd like to thank my husband Art is is hands down, um, you know, a community leader. He has, uh, he does not toot his own horn. And um, I think because he is passionate about what he does, you know, sometimes passion can rub people the wrong way. And he's had a tendency to do that. But uh, I, I know what he's done. I I know where he operates from and um and what he's contributed to this place. And um and then Vern Akins as well, who was the other co-founder of Torca. CJ Woodard, the, the district ranger who really got this trails plan off the ground. Unfortunately he was transferred to another another forest recently, but um really appreciate the work that he did to get mountain bikers a seat at the table. And then just anybody who's, who's attended a trail work day, donated to Torca, you know, or read about Tucson on the internet as a riding destination and and booked a trip here. I'm grateful for all of those people.
1: Yeah. And before we close this out, I will say there is a bunch of stuff on YouTube to get you all pumped up about going to Tucson. You know, Bryce Sherbach has done a handful of things from there. Jeff Kendall lead, both of which have been guests on this podcast has also been there. Pink bike was there, you know, they, they did some, uh, I think it was a budget bike review or the bikes that don't cost $10,000 review maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's some good pink bike stuff on Tucson,
1: you know? And so it definitely, and I'm going to link some of that stuff into the show notes as well, because this is only audio visual is awesome. And the visual that you get from Tucson is incredible. And for those who love Mexican food, like myself, it's rare that we go a week in my household with not going to the, lo- one of the local Mexican restaurants. To get margaritas and awesome food. Yep. Go to Tucson. Right. City
0: of gastronomy. That's where it's at.
1: Yeah. Well, Tara.
0: Eat and ride and drink beer and live the dream.
1: That is living the dream. I lean more towards margaritas. I'm not, I'm not a huge beer person, but I know a lot of people that, I mean, like almost every time I bring up what makes a good mountain bike community, a good mountain bike community. A lot of times people default to beer, although people will have heard me say wood-fired pizza probably more than they want to hear. I do live on Mexican food as well, especially because I can't get wood-fired pizza where I live. And so I I have to go with the Mexican food.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff.
1: And my favorite server is from Honduras. And so he's very fluent in Spanish and not super fluent in English. Which is great. Exactly.
0: Opportunity. Yeah. Huge opportunity.
1: Well... Thank you very much, Tara. I really appreciate this opportunity to be able to highlight what you have going on with Homegrown MTB, what you've done in women's coaching and what you have going on in the Tucson area and all that. So it's what makes what we do awesome.
0: Thank you for your work as well, Josh.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links to the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next two episodes will take us back east to the Fire Mountain Trail system based within the Koala boundary of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the Value for Value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, check out our new website at www.TrailEffectPodcast.com with effect spelled E-A-F-F-E-C-T. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing EvolutionTrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.